Well, Woodlands Church, we're starting a new two-part series leading up to our 26 Christmas Eve services that I'm calling God First. It's all about experiencing the blessings of putting God first in your life because it's my prayer that you'll experience a God First Christmas. Christ came the first Christmas so that we could put God first this Christmas. Because when you put God first in your life, then all of your life comes into alignment. But if you don't put God first in your life, then nothing in your life can come into alignment. And if you don't put God first place in your life, you'll live a wasted life. You see, if your number one goal is to be happy, to do whatever it takes so that you'll find happiness, you'll end up miserable. Now all the new sociological studies show that that people who make it their goal to pursue happiness, to do whatever it takes to find happiness, to find themselves, to find what makes them happy, end up miserable. Because you are made to put God first place in your life, to live your life passionately, lift up Jesus Christ, to lift him up and to bring honor and glory and fame to his name. That's what you were made for. And when you get your eyes off yourself and you put them on God and passionately enjoying God and lifting him up so that people around you can come into a relationship with him, then you find fulfillment. It's the way God designed you. God designed you so that he would be at the center of your life. First place. Did you know that there are some things that God can't do not that he won't do it, but that he just can't do it. Some of you are probably thinking, Carrie, I, I thought God can do anything. No, the Bible tells us there are some things that God can't do. It's not just that he won't do it, but he just can't do it. It goes against his character. And one of the things that God can't do is get tired. God can't get tired. He's all-powerful. He's omnipotent, which means he always has might and power and strength and energy. He never gets tired. Another thing the Bible says God can't do is God can't lie. He's a God of truth. He can't break a promise. He can't do that. It's not part of his character. The Bible says even when I'm faithless, he remains faithful because that's who he is. So God cannot break a promise. Another thing God can't do is God can't change. He's immutable. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. When everything else around us is changing, God remains the same. God never changes. You can always count on him. There's some things God can't do. And one of the things the Bible says that God cannot do is God can't be second. God can't be second. Now, you can put God out of first place in your life. And maybe God's not first place in your life, but he's still first because he's God. God always is first. He is first and foremost. God can't be second. And if you don't put God first in your life, then you never find fulfillment. And if you put God first in your life, I can tell you that life will still be hard on this broken planet. There will still be pain and heartache but if you put God first, you will live a life filled with joy and peace and purpose and meaning because that's what it all comes down to. You were made to put God first and God can't be second. God's always first. Now we're gonna look at this principle of the first because the only way you can experience the blessings of God, I mean the true blessings of God, peace and purpose and meaning, fulfillment, real joy is to passionately Put God first in your life and lift him up. And in every area of your life, seek to lift up Christ. And so we're gonna read a passage from the Old Testament in the book of Exodus that you may find strange at first, but this God first principle is all through it. It just comes through and there's some powerful principles that we need to glean from this and put into our lives. And so would you stand in honor of God's word and just follow along with him. I wanna read four verses from Exodus chapter 13. It says, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of men and of beast, it is mine. 
that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb, that is every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have. The males shall be the Lord's, but every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. You see, a lamb was considered a clean animal, and a donkey was considered an unclean animal. And so it goes on to say, if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. So if you don't redeem it, you lose it. And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you that you can't be second. And I know, Lord, that when we put ourselves first, thinking we're gonna meet our needs first and we're going to find true happiness and we're gonna find ourselves, we just lose it all, ultimately. When we lose ourselves in you, then we find ourselves and our whole purpose for living and the true joy that you have for us. And so, Lord, I just pray over the next few moments that you'd open our eyes and our hearts to this God-first principle that you've placed that really has been a part of everything in creation, and we need to see it, understand it, and live in it. And Lord, I, I just thank you for everyone here who's going through pain and heartache and difficulty, Lord, that you just let them know that you love them so much and that you're right there, that you never change, that you always keep your promises, that you never leave us and never forsake us. Lord, we thank you that we can count on you. Even when we can't feel it or see it, you're right there. And I pray for everyone within the sound of my voice that you would just meet them right where they are right now. And you would just take hold of their hearts. And you, Lord Jesus, would bring your healing and strength and peace. And most of all, you would help every one of us let go all that we're holding on to so that you can give back to us everything we've ever dreamed of. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated, and I want you to underline the phrase in that passage, it is mine. God says all the firstborn of all your animals and all your children, the firstborn is mine. That belongs to me. Now, one of the first words that kids learn after they learn the word dada or mama is mine, mine. That's mine. I'm reminded of the seagulls and finding Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. Those of you with kids, you understand that. Mine, mine. When my son Josh was a toddler, he had a friend over to play for the very first time, and I was in my office, and I heard this scream, and I ran in the living room, and Josh was crying, and he was saying, he's playing with my toys. And I said, Josh, that's the whole point of having a friend over is to share. He goes, but they're mine. There's just something in us as human beings who is, hey, that's mine, that's mine. But God says, wait a minute here. When it comes to the firstborn, that's mine, that's mine. Now, you, you have to understand in the Old Testament, whenever an animal was born, whenever a little boy was born, if they were the firstborn, then God says you either have to sacrifice it or redeem it. So if a sheep had a little lamb, if it was the firstborn, that sheep had to be sacrificed because God said, that's mine. You have to worship me and put me first and trust me with this and sacrifice this lamb. That's mine. Now, if you had an unclean animal like a donkey and you wanted to keep that firstborn donkey, then you had to sacrifice an unblemished lamb to redeem that donkey. And whenever a firstborn child was born, they would have to sacrifice an unblemished, perfect lamb to redeem that child. Now you see the powerful foreshadowing of Jesus in this passage? That's what this is all about, it's all about Jesus. It's powerful foreshadowing that Jesus, the perfect, sinless, unblemished lamb of God would be sacrificed so that we could be redeemed. He became one of us at Christmas to redeem all of us who would trust him. He was the perfect lamb of God sacrificed so that we could be redeemed. And so, in the Old Testament, the firstborn had to either be sacrificed or redeemed. And so if a sheep would have that firstborn little lamb, that lamb had to be sacrificed because God said, the first belongs to me. You might want to write that down somewhere. The first belongs to me. 
This is the principle of the firstborn in the Old Testament. Now, we're not under the law anymore. You know, we're in the new covenant, so we're not under the law, so we're not to sacrifice animals. We don't need to sacrifice animals anymore. We don't do this anymore, but the principle remains the same. You see, the biblical principles in the Old Testament remain the same. You get the principle out of it because it stays the same, and the principle is the first belongs to God. The first always belongs to God. God says, that's mine. God always requires the first. It's all through scripture. When the people of Israel went into the promised land, the first city that they conquered was Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. And God said, on this first city in the promised land, you're not to take any of the spoils, don't take any of the treasure. But over the next nine cities, I don't care, take all that you want, all the treasure, the silver and the gold, It's all yours, just take it, but the first city is mine. And remember, one man took some of the plunder from Jericho and hid it in his tent, and God caused the army of Israel to be defeated in the next battle because of it. Because God said, that's mine, remember? God always requires the first. It's a principle all throughout scripture. It's a principle that's just as important today. God always requires the first. Why? because that takes faith. Giving God the first takes faith. For you see, when they would sacrifice the firstborn lamb, it took faith because a sheep might have one lamb in her lifetime or 10 little lambs. The owner didn't know, and so the owner had to give the first to God because God said the first is mine. Instead of saying, well, you know, God, if this sheep has seven or eight little lambs, you know, and we'll see how this goes, then I'll give you that last lamb. But right now, this is my livelihood, so, you know, I'm not sure about that. So, God, what about the third or fourth one? We'll we'll see how this goes, God. And God says, no, the first belongs to me, but if you give me the first, then I'll bless the rest. I'll bless all your flocks. I'll bless you. I'll meet your needs. I'll take care of your flocks. Because you see, in the Old Testament, livestock was their livelihood. Livestock was their stocks, their assets, their bank accounts. And so God was saying, I want you to give me the first because the first requires faith. It doesn't require as much faith if you give me the last. It requires faith when you give me the first. Because I promise you that I'll bless you if you give me the first. And God says, I'll take care of you. I'll meet your needs when you give me the first. So God always requires the first. Now that's the firstborn, then there's the first fruits. There's the firstborn and the first fruits in Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, it says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Underline first fruits. God says, I want you to give me the first fruits of your harvest. You dedicate them to me, you're not to eat them, you to dedicate them to me. You give them to me because you're trusting me that I'm gonna bless the rest. The first belongs to me. You see, they were either owners of livestock or they were farmers. And God says, I want you to know the first part of the harvest, everything that comes out of the land is going to be mine. You don't eat it, you give it to me. And so you see what God is doing here. He's saying everything that you own belongs to me, really? But I require the first, that's mine. And you need to return that to me to show that I'm first place in your life because your livestock is your livelihood. Your farming is your livelihood. That harvest is your bank account. And so if you'll put me first in that area, I'll bless the rest. But you have to trust me in this to see if my promise is true. It requires faith, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. God God created you to live a life of faith. You weren't created to live a comfortable life. You were created to live a life of faith, being fully alive in Christ, taking risks in faith, believing God for great things in your life, stepping out in faith to believe his promises before they come true. And continuing in faith, knowing that his word is true and that he will come through, that pleases God and it brings you to life. You're never alive until you live in faith. God has called us to live 
by faith. And that's why he requires the first, not the last, not the middle, but the first. God always requires the first because the first takes faith. I want you to look at this next verse, Leviticus 27, 30. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. He's saying a tithe, that's 10%, a tithe of everything from the land belongs to God. It's God's. Now, it's interesting to me that God doesn't say, give me a tithe. He doesn't use the word give. Why? Because you can't give to God. You can't give something that you don't own, but you can return some of what God has given you. God doesn't use the word give because it's not really giving if it wasn't ever yours in the first place. Everything we have comes from God, and when we give back the first tenth, that's returning some of what God has given us. So you really can't give, you're just returning some of what God has given you, and God wants you to remember that, that it all comes from him. And some of you may say, well, I'm a self-made man, I'm a self-made woman, I mean, I've worked so hard, I picked myself up by my bootstraps, worked so hard to get where I'm at, to earn what I've earned, and I wanna say, who gave you the ability to earn? Who gave you your health? Who gives you your next breath, and who can take it away instantly? It's God, and God wants us to recognize that it all belongs to him. We're just returning part of what belongs to him so that we can be reminded that he's first place and he cannot be second, so that we can also experience his blessings in our lives. The most important blessings, the things money can't buy, real joy, fulfillment, the things that you're longing for, God is waiting to give you if you put him first. And so as we put God first, we experience those blessings that he wants to give us, but it all comes down to recognizing that God owns it all. If you struggle with tithing, and you see the livestock and the harvest, that was their bank account, but if you struggle with, that was their paycheck, if you struggle with tithing, then really the whole problem is you don't understand that you don't own anything, that you're just a steward of what God has given you. You, you see, every one of us, one day we'll give everything we have away maybe use it 70, 80 years on this earth, but you're gonna give it all away. You're gonna die and you can't take it with you. I've never seen a hearse pull in a U-Haul. You can't take it with you. You can't take any of it with you, so you use it for a time, and then you're gonna leave it for the government to take and your kids to fight over. Praise God. <laughs> How exciting is that, you know? And so, it's not yours. You don't own any, we're not owners on this earth. We can pass stuff on to someone else, but we can't own anything, but we can be stewards of what God has given us. And so when you tithe, you're not giving, you're just returning part of what God's given you. And God says, you take that part, you're stealing from me. And so I wanna bless you because if you steal from me, you steal your happiness. If you steal from me, you steal the blessings that I wanna give you. If you steal from me, you'll steal your whole purpose for living for my glory to enjoy God and bring glory to him. That's when you come alive, when you live in faith. And so we see here this principle of the first and the firstborn and the first fruits. And if you don't realize that it's all God's, you will struggle with tithing. You will struggle with giving God back part of what he's given you. The other day I was out to dinner with my family and my grandson Lincoln was sitting in a high chair and his mom had broken up some french fries and thrown them on his little tray and he picked up one of the french fries and he lifted it out to me, smiled real big and I reached over to try to bite the french fry and he pulled it back. <laughs> Kids learn at an early age, this is mine, I want you to see what I have, but you can't have it. And a lot of adults are still doing that. Look at the car I drive, look at my status, look at my job, look at my house. This is who I am and this is what I have, it's mine and you don't have what I have. Don't you envy that? I remember when my kids were in grade school, I took them to Burger King after school one day and, and we were at the register and I, I was ordering and I was trying to eat healthier so I just ordered a Whopper with everything and no fries. <laughs> it's like, I'm gonna cut off the fries, I'm gonna eat really healthy today. 
so I cut up the fries, and, and then we sat down, and one of my boys had supersized fries, and they were hot and salty and looked so good, so I reached over to grab one fry, and actually, he slapped at my hand and said, get your own fries, Dad. <laughs> at that moment, God spoke a word to my heart <laughs> that my son had forgotten who was his almighty provider of French fries. <laughs> and who could take his fries away from him in an instant? He'd forgot who bought him those fries and who could go up to the register and order 50 more supersized fries and dump them all over him. Or who could take away his fries? I brought him into the world, I can take away his fries. <laughs> but then I thought, that's exactly what we do with God. You know, as God says, you give me back the first 10%, that's mine, God, get your own. I mean, you don't need it. It's mine. I mean, you know, there are bills to pay, there are things to do, I don't, you don't need it. And that's the way we are with God. And God says, you're not just stealing from me, but you steal from yourself what I want to do in your life. You steal joy, you steal it all, you're gonna lose it all. Jesus said when you lose yourself, you find yourself. We try to find ourselves and we lose it all. And so here we see this principle of the first at play. Now, underline the word tithe here, because what is a tithe? Well, it just means a tenth. It's the first 10% of all you make. It's in the Old Testament. Jesus affirmed it in the New Testament that it's the minimal that we're required. God says, the first is mine. I cannot be second. So you have to give me first place in all the areas of your life. And the great news is, God says, whatever area you want me to bless you in, put me first in that area. And so God says, put me first in your finances. Put me first in your schedule. Put me first in your family. Put me first in your time. Because God knows those are the things we care about. If God's not first in our finances or our time or our relationships, then he's not first place in our lives. Because those are the things we care about. And so God says, it's the first 10% of all you make. The first 10%. Now, let's just say that I have 10 $10 bills up here on a table. 10 $10 bills. Now, which one of those is the tithe? It's the first one that leaves your hand. It can't just be any of the 10, which any of them would be 10%, wouldn't it? But it's the first 10% of all you make, God says. It's the first, not the last, to see if there's anything left over. It's the first because God requires the first. Why? Because that requires faith. And so maybe you get paid on the first and 15th, or maybe you get paid once a week, or maybe you get paid at the end of the month, but let's just say you get paid on the first and 15th before that mortgage payment goes out and gets deducted from your account. You wanna make sure that God gets paid first. I wanna make sure that God gets that check first or that I send it in online first. You see, because God requires first. Now, God's not legalistic about it. I mean, if you tithe and give back and return to God the 10% that he says, that's mine and don't you dare touch it or you're stealing. I mean, you give it back as long as you give that back on a consistent basis. I mean, I know God blesses that, but really, it comes down to a heart issue. It's not a legalistic issue because wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also, Jesus said. And so I wanna make sure that I wanna make sure that my heart is in the right place and that house payment doesn't come before God. I wanna make sure that my heart's in the right place, that God is more important in my heart than anything else. And by the way, your mortgage company doesn't have the power to bless your finances, only God has that power. And I want God to be first. When Chris and I first got married, we started practicing tithing. We said, no one else gets paid this month, God's gonna get paid, because we need him, desperately. We need the principle of the first to be in action in our life, and we don't wanna steal from God. God has to be first, he cannot be second, and you find fulfillment in your life. And so, the tithe means the first 10% of all you make, it's the first part, not the last part. Now, we're to lay up treasure in heaven. This is really important to understand because Jesus told us it's really important to save as much as you can to get as much treasure as you can. It's, it's so important to build as big of a treasure as you can ever build, and just don't do it here on this earth, he said, because that's really dumb. Basically, Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, 
that can't be taken away. What he was saying is it's really good to invest for the long term. You know, if you're a young person, you, you ought to in, start investing now with compound interest. You know, over the years, keep saving and investing. That's what you do over the years. That's really smart to think 30 years ahead, 40 years ahead, 50 years ahead, or even five years ahead. That, that's really smart to do financial planning 20 years out. But it's not real smart. In fact, it's stupid if you don't plan 200 years out, 2,000 years out, 200,000 years out. Then you're just being dumb. If you're just plan, then you're just short-term planning. You're just planning for today. If you don't plan for eternity, because Jesus said, be really wise and lay up a lot of treasure. Just don't do it down here. Because you're gonna lose it all. So that's not a real smart investment. He never said, don't be a smart investor. He just said, be a really smart investor and invest for all eternity. And how do you do that? You invest it in the people going there. That's how you do that. You send it on ahead. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. John Piper was reading an article in a magazine several years ago about early retirement, and it was mentioning these couples that had taken early retirement. And it talked about a husband who was 59 and a wife who was 51 and how they had taken early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast, and, and they said, now we're living the American dream. They had moved to Punta Gorda, Florida, and they spent their time on their 30-foot trawler and playing softball and collecting shells. And John Piper said, when I read that, it just hit me as how tragic to come to the end of your life to come to the end of your one and only God-precious life and spend the last part of your life before you go meet your creator just tooling around on a boat, playing softball and collecting shells. And he said, all I could see was that couple standing before Christ at the great judgment and saying, well, like last 20 years, I got a lot of really cool shells. So a lot of people are gonna do, they're gonna say, this is what I did with my life. This is what I did. Yeah, yeah. It's all about me. And by the way, I don't think retirement is in the Bible. That word retirement is never in the Bible. Do you know that? I mean, you can retire from a certain job or an occupation, but you can't retire from serving God. You can't retire from serving and giving and living all out, putting Christ first in your life, making it your life goal to put him first in every area, to lift up his name, to make it famous so everyone around you can see the love of God and how much Christ loves them. That's not the goal of your life. You're wasting your life. And I'm telling you, advertisers today spend billions of dollars trying to get you to buy the American dream that is retire early, sit around, relax, just enjoy. Just meet your own needs. Don't think about anything else going on in the world. Just have a good time. And I'm telling you, what that is called is a wasted life. That is not the American dream. Or if it is, the American dream is wasting your life. And I'm telling you, you go for God's dream for your life. Being fully alive in faith, serving God, giving him first and best with everything you are. That's when you come alive. Don't die a slow death, living a wasted life. You see, my greatest fear is not death. If you're a Christ follower, you shouldn't fear death because you get to be in heaven, the perfect place. You should fear a wasted life, but my greatest fear is not a wasted life because I know that, that Chris and I give back to God what is his, that first 10%, and we give above that because God's called us to, and, and we, we know that that's what we're called to do, and we, we love doing that, and it's a joy, and we love serving God, and, and we don't wanna waste our life, and I'm never gonna retire. Some of you are going, oh, man. No, I'm never gonna retire from serving God and loving God and giving to God and and. Being who God's called me to be, that's what, I, that's what I want to do with my life because that's the only way you come alive. And so I'm not worried about a wasted life, but here's what my greatest fear is. My greatest fear is that when I get to heaven, I know God's going to ask me three questions 
The first question I'm not worried about, he's gonna say, Carrie, what did you do with my one and only son, Jesus Christ? And I'm gonna say, I trusted him for my salvation. I'm a sinner like everyone else. I couldn't get into perfect heaven, but I get to go to heaven because of Christ. I received him. He was the perfect lamb of God that was sacrificed, and I accepted his redemption. So I get to live forever. I don't, I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it, but I get to go to heaven on Christ's ticket. And then he's gonna ask me, what did you do with your one and only life? Did you do anything with your time, talent, and treasure to bring people to heaven? Did you do anything with your time, talent, and treasure to make an eternal difference? And I'm gonna say, yeah, you know, Lord, that I, I gave and I, and many times you called us to give sacrificially and we gave sacrificially. And many times, Lord, you called us to serve beyond measure and, and it's just a joy to do just what you called us to do. I'm not worried about that question. But it's the third question I know he's gonna ask me and he's not gonna ask you that. He's gonna ask you the first two. What did you do with your one and only life that, made a difference for eternity. What did you do with, did you, did you spend any of your money to make a difference for eternity? Any of your time? But here's the thing he's gonna ask me, he's not gonna ask you. He's gonna say, Carrie, why didn't you spend more time talking to the people in your congregation about how to let go and give me what is mine rather than stealing it from me? And I'm gonna say, but Lord, you know, I mean, I, I, I didn't preach in Calcutta, India. You know, I mean, you know, that's the thing. I mean, uh, the guy over here that was a pastor in Calcutta, you know, the poorest of the poor, you know, they never had to deal with, with money and stuff. They never had to deal with material things like, like we had to in our area. I mean, yeah, everybody was having to deal with that, Lord. So, I, yeah, I know a lot of them were holding on too tightly and put money ahead of you. They put their finances ahead of you, God. But I tried at least once or twice a year I preached about money. And he's gonna say, I talked about money more than heaven or hell. And so why didn't you do enough to help people in your church break free from the number one sin in our area, materialism, and not trust, trusting God with their finances? And so that's what keeps me awake. And I, with all my heart and all my passion, I wanna challenge you, if you haven't, join the thousands who are giving God what is his. Join the thousands who have the joy of returning that first 10%, the minimum required to say, God, you're first in my finances, and then watch God bless the rest. I just, how can you trust God with your eternal salvation and not trust him with your earthly finances? It makes no sense to me. But you know, study after study after study shows that the more you make, the harder it is to tithe. You know, there's people who, when they weren't making much, they could give back 10%, make $100, and you give back that first $10. But then when you start making more, it gets harder because, in fact, the wealthiest people have the hardest time tithing. Isn't that weird? Why is that? Greed. That's the only reason. It's just greed. Because it's like, wow, God, 10%, that's a lot. And so, do you really need that, God? Because that's a whole lot. I could give, and it looks like I'm giving a lot. But it's not 10%, it might be 2%, but that seems like a lot, that's a lot, right God? You know, here's my prayer. If you used to tithe, when you didn't make very much and God's blessed you, now it's really hard to tithe because you have a lot more. My prayer for you is this. I pray that God will just break you free from not trusting him and giving back what is his, the full tithe. But if that doesn't happen, my prayer is that you'll lose it all so that you can go back to trusting God again so you don't miss out on the blessing of putting God first. My prayer for you is whatever it takes for God to bring you back to that place where you put him first. My prayer is you'll lose every dime so you get back to the place of putting God first. If you're not gonna have that breakthrough to go to that place where you can give God and let go of everything, and say, God, it's all yours. I'm gonna give you back the first 10%. I'm not gonna steal a dime from you. I'm gonna trust you. You see, that's what it really comes down to, is faith. It always comes back to faith. In Malachi 3.10, God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Notice he doesn't say give again. He says, return it. 
that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room for it. I love that because what an amazing promise of God. God says, if you return to me, what's mine? Stop stealing from me, then I'm gonna bless your socks off. I'm gonna throw open the windows of heaven and pour blessings down on you. I'm gonna meet your needs financially, but more importantly, I'm gonna give you blessings that you could never have any other way. I'm gonna give you blessings that money can't buy, that nothing can touch. Joy, purpose, and meaning. That's what it comes down to. But I love how God says, I'll take care of you. Now, underline whole tithe in that. What does that mean? Some people give like 1% and they call it their tithe. Or they give $10 and call it their tithe. No, that's not a tithe. Tithe is the first 10% of all you make. And then underline my house. This is real important because my house, that's the church. We're to give to the church. Why? It's an act of worship. Chris and I give to charities, and that's great, but that's not our tithe. You see, tithe is given at church or to church because why? It's given to your local church family. Why? Because it's worship. Tithing is an act of worship. You're putting God first in your worship, in your giving. And what a great opportunity we have, folks, to lay up treasure in heaven and to put God first, to make sure our hearts are right. Every December, we have what we call a heart for the house offering for the church. And because the offering is next weekend at the end of the service, and I'm not gonna get a chance to talk about it as much next weekend, I wanna talk about it today. And you'll see there's a brochure in your program. Would you take that out and just look at it for a couple minutes? Because the heart for the house offering, as you'll see, there's a letter from Chris and I, but then turn to the next page. Over the last 26 years, 59,690 people have committed their life to Christ through Willand Church. And, and turn the next page. Just this year, 4,176 people have committed their lives to Christ, and over 500,000 people have experienced Christ's love through our 120 mission projects including our food programs, our medical clinics, our rescue from human trafficking, disaster relief, clean water initiatives, and so much more. And I know that all those numbers can seem like just out there somewhere, but every one of those numbers represents a person whose life is eternally changed. Every one of those numbers represents one person whose eternal destiny is forever changed, one person who is lifted out of poverty, who can now take care of their kids and buy medicine for them and it's amazing what God is doing through you. Let me just give you one example. Several years ago, Chris and I stepped foot into the quarry slum in Nairobi, Kenya, and we went on a God adventure from then on in an amazing way, and that's just one of our ministries because we met a young man named Oscar, and he was leading this sports ministry, this, this young adult ministry that was reaching out to the schools in the slums and, and making a difference and they would come together for worship and have worship and they were playing an old beat up keyboard. And so right away we started giving them instruments and things and, and started being an encouragement to them. Then we started bringing our college students to meet with them and we would go to the schools together. And, and we would hit five or six schools in a day and share Christ with them, paint the school, you know, to do repairs in the schools that were breaking down and to give supplies and and Oscar would speak, and one of our kids would speak, and it was just a great time together. And, but I remember one day when we'd hit about the sixth school, and at the sixth, it was an elementary school, I'll never forget, and all these kids, there'd be like a 1,000 kids in one school, and all these kids were just crowding around us. At the end of the day, we were getting ready the next day to go back to Houston, and, and I remember kids just grabbing and pulling on my shirt and saying, take me with you, take me with you. Don't, don't, for, don't forget about me. You're not gonna forget about me, right? It'd take me to America. And just pulling on us, and we're trying to get into the van, and I get in the van, and I sit there just being overwhelmed and just thinking, are we really making a difference? Are we really making a difference? I mean, there's so many needs, so much hurt. And then I looked over, sitting by me was Oscar. And I remembered that at the very school, that I had just stepped into the van from. Oscar used to go to that elementary school and that's where he got hooked on drugs and, and he was a great leader so he got all these other kids addicted. He started peddling drugs and he got kicked out of school 
And he continued on in that lifestyle until he was 18 and his parents finally kicked him out of the house and he had no place to go and living on the streets in the slums, you don't last very long. So he walked into a church building and he got on his knees in the middle of the night and he said, God, if you'll get me out of this mess, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. And he said, something just happened. He just surrendered his life to Christ and nothing was ever the same. And he started meeting other young people and telling them about Christ and they started forming this youth group and it just went from there. And, and I looked at Oscar as he comes back all the time to minister in those schools and I thought, that one's changed. That one's changed. And there are a lot of other Oscars out there. Several years ago, Chris and I were there with Oscar and we said, Oscar, we just feel like God is calling you not to just do a sports ministry and a young person's ministry to be a pastor of a church. He said, well, what church? I said, Woodlands Church, Nairobi. And sure enough, God called them to be the pastor of our Woodlands Church, Nairobi, in the Quarry Slum. And it's just packed out now. And God's just, it's just booming with growth. Oscar and his wife Gladys and their little baby Taji is amazing. And you guys support them and their salaries and how God is working through them and the staff salaries. And, and here's a picture of Oscar. Oscar and Gladys, and they have another one on the way now. They're amazing. And man, they're living for Jesus. Last time we were over there, Josh roomed with Oscar, and at 5.30 in the morning, Oscar got up and said, wake up, Josh, it's time to go. And Josh said, what? Why so early? He said, you can sleep when you get to heaven. We're working for the Lord. Sleep when you get to heaven. I love that. We always quote Oscar on that. Hey, you can sleep when you get to heaven. Come on, let's go. But they just did their giving campaign to buy land because they've been meeting in a tent, outgrown it in the quarry slum, and, and they just, and, and U Woodland Church gave them a third of it, and they raised the other two-thirds by giving so much, so much more than what God requires, to giving like sacrificially all these people living in the slums, giving of themselves, giving of themselves, giving of everything, because we're gonna get our land. It's amazing what God has done. And that's just one of our 120 mission projects and ministries. You have churches planted all over the world, Woodland Church. You have people's lives being changed all over the world. And I'm telling you, every one of those numbers means a person that Jesus died for. You know what's so amazing? Is that Jesus Christ was God's tithe. Isn't that something? Jesus, God's firstborn. In fact, the Bible says he was the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. He was the firstborn son, and God gave the firstborn son, the perfect, sinless lamb of God, unblemished to be sacrificed so that we could be redeemed. He became one of us so that he could redeem all of us. God's tithe. This principle is God's heart, and it's the only way your heart can come alive. And as we give to the heart for the house, it's just a chance for us to do that. I want you to look at the last page, the inside of the last page. What is the heart for the house offering? It says, first, it's an opportunity for every one of us to show love for Jesus and Woodland Church by giving sacrificially over and above our regular tithes and offerings so the church can continue to fulfill the mission that Christ has for us of sharing the love of Jesus with a hurting world. And so this is a chance for us to give over and above our tithes and offerings. And so I, I just really challenge you and encourage you if you're a regular tither, this is the chance to give above. Chris and I are praying about what God wants us to give above this year for his glory. And if you've never tithed, use this opportunity to start tithing, returning what is God's. We can't all give the same amount. Somebody might give $10 in the Heart for the House offering next weekend, and it means so much more to God than someone else because maybe you're really struggling financially right now. You don't have much of anything, and that that. That could be a lot. The widow's mite, she gave two mites, but Jesus said she gave all she had. Others were giving 5%, 2%, but Jesus said she's gonna be the most blessed. She gave everything she had. And it reminds me of Willen's Church, Nairobi. So many gave all they had. And, and so somebody might have to give $100 for it to be a sacrifice. And a, a few of you'd have to give well over 100000 for it to even be a sacrifice at all. And I'm just telling you, we can't all give the same amount, but we can all sacrifice. And you can do what God tells you to do because the second thing, it's an opportunity to trust God with our finances, to give in faith, to see if God's promises are true, and they are. And thirdly, it's an opportunity to meet a practical need in the church 
to reach our ministry and missions budget. Our church, like all nonprofits and churches, depends on our December offering many times for 30, 35% of our whole year's budget. And so it's really important, the December offering is so important because everything that comes in here determines what we do next year. We want to increase our missions and ministries. We want to meet more needs. We want to do more for the glory of Jesus Christ, but we can't without the December offering being more. And so it really determines all our planning for next year because we're not the government and we can't spend what we don't have. So, and that's a whole nother message. A whole nother message altogether. I'm getting way off, okay. So how do I give to the Heart for the House offering? Well, it's next weekend after, at the end of the service in the offering, but the way you do it, there's several ways. You, with the commitment card and envelope, you take the commitment card, you pray about it, you write out what God's leading you to give over and above your regular giving, and then you put the check in the envelope and you can mail it in or you can bring it to church for the big offering and, uh, and give that way. Or you can give through the Woodlands Church app. You can give online at wc.org slash give. You can text give wc to 77977. You give cash, credit cards, stocks and bonds, assets. But God wants us all to be part of this for his glory. And it's my prayer that you'll be part of it so God gets your heart. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you're not gonna be here next week, give today. But one of the things I think that is really powerful is when you involve your family. Because the end of that verse in Exodus, at the end of the passage that I didn't read, God said, and when your kids ask you, why do we sacrifice the firstborn lamb? Why do we sacrifice to redeem? Why do we do that? Then you tell them how God brought you out of Egypt and you were once slaves and how God blessed you and provided for you and protected you so they will know that God is real. And some of you got a story to tell. When you gather your family, you go, we're gonna give way above and beyond because, and you're writing out that check, you go, why? Why? Because it's Jesus' birthday and he gets the best gift. And I want you to know your daddy wasn't always a Christ follower. He didn't always know Jesus, but he saved me and he's changed us. Our family is blessed because of him. And so we want you to know that. That's why we do what we do. That's why we give God the first and best. That's why we do it. They said, we were slaves in Egypt at one time. It was really bad, but God brought us out and we put him first. And that's why we do it, to give him glory and to give him honor. Let's pray together. Dear God, I pray that we would honor you with everything that we have, with our time, talent, and treasure. We would honor you by serving you. We would honor you by giving to you. But Lord, I pray for everyone within the sound of my voice who's having trouble giving, having trouble returning what is yours, that you would just loosen our hands and open our hearts so that we can receive what you have for us. Help us understand that when we hold on, we steal from you, we just steal our own joy, our own purpose. So Lord, I pray right now that you would just break free, all of us, Lord Jesus, to trust you with everything that we have and that we would give to you what's rightfully yours and that we would, Lord Jesus, experience your blessings. We pray for healing, for strength, for blessings. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God of grace and we just pray for your grace to pour out upon us in an amazing way. And I do pray, Lord Jesus, for everyone who's struggling with tithing, everyone who's experiencing your blessings. Lord, and we know that living in, America, we're in the top 1%. Even those who are on welfare are in the top percentage of the world's income when most people live on less than $2 a day. So Lord Jesus, help us to recognize our blessings and give back to you and bless us more to be a greater blessing. And I pray for those who are struggling with it that you would just give them, Lord Jesus, the knowledge of how much you love them to set them free so they can see your blessings in their life and in their family. And if not, Lord, then help them lose it all so that they can come back to a place where they can see that you're real and you care more about them having their heart right with you than about them losing everything. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, now we're at the part of our service where we give back to God. And as you give, thank him for what he's done for you and thank him for his blessings and his provision. 
that he always comes through on. So let's give to the Lord. And, and then I just wanna say that next week, we wrap up the series. At the end, we have our big offering. If you're a first-time guest, don't feel obligated to give in that offering. Um, it's for our regular tenders. We do it because we love God and we want to. And then Christmas is coming up in two weeks. Amazing, isn't it? We start our 26 Christmas Eve services December 21st and be praying. It's gonna be about the greatest Christmas card of all. And we've been working on this for a long time. It's gonna be super creative, um, creative and compelling and clear gospel presentation. Get friends here. It's gonna be amazing. Lord, bless our giving. We thank you for the greatest gift, your son, Jesus Christ. Yeah. He shall reign forevermore. Hey, Merry Christmas, Woodlands Church. Pick up a yard sign on your way out. Also, we have those little things here, invitations in the program. You can give these to a friend. Tear them out. Give them to friends and invite them to Christmas Eve. It's going to be amazing this year. By the way, it's communion weekend. We have our pastors and our leaders up here to share communion with you. If you'd like to take communion the first weekend of every month, we do that right up here. And also, we're uh, going to have a, a, an amazing choir for Christmas Eve, and we're looking for a few more to be in the choir for the tryout. So if you'd like to do that, then uh, meet Karsten out here in the lobby, and he'll tell you more about that. God bless you, Woodland Church. Merry Christmas. Have a great week. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodland Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.